say to you, it's a very, very challenging part of Scripture. It is a beautiful part of Scripture. The writing and the sermon, and particularly the Beatitudes, they grab you. But they are very scary too, because they're challenging. I'm going to pray, and then Benny Bourne's going to come up and read it for us, and we're going to think through that this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you that Jesus uh, gives this long discourse, this long talk. Uh, and within it, Lord, we hear the heart of Jesus. We hear his desire for those who follow him. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as we look at it together, as we see the beauty of the Beatitudes, Lord, I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit... You'll challenge our heart and our soul and our in, internal to be challenged to be more like Jesus within it, Lord. Father, without your spirit, it won't be the case. But we ask this morning that your spirit will do a work on us and we will be transformed by what we read and what we hear and what we see. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ben. If you've got your Bibles, if you can open them up to Matthew chapter 5, uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 16 this morning, and Ben's going to read that for us. It will be on the screen, uh, but have your Bibles open too, that'd be great. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they will put it on its stand and give it, gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Thanks, Benjamin. Uh, it's a great part of the Bible, isn't it? It's a very challenging part of the Bible, and it's only the first bit. We've got seven weeks. We're going to be working through this together. Uh, but you would have noticed, if you go back and you'll see that Jesus went up onto a mountain or up onto a hill and he sat down and his disciples came to him. Uh, the idea of Jesus going up onto a hill, uh, if you go back into chapter 4, you'll see that there was crowds, thousands of people coming after him, and he decided that he needed to move up 
and out of the way for a moment and to gather people to him to teach them. Uh, and you'll see in the passage that he says that he gathers his disciples together with him. And so this picture is probably fairly similar to what, what it might have been like. Uh, Jesus sitting down uh, back then to teach. They sat down rather than stood up. That would be interesting, wouldn't it, if I sat down? You may not see me, but that's the way they did it. Uh, he sat down and his disciples came to him. So first and foremost, what we have here in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7 is Jesus' words to the people who are following him, to his followers. So those of you who know Jesus and are following Jesus, he's saying to you now, come close and listen. But when we get to the end of chapter 7, we'll see right at the end of verses 38 and 39 that the crowds were amazed What sort of teaching is this that he teaches with authority? So it seems that not only were the disciples closed, but the crowds came up as well. Those that were interested, those that were thinking, those that had seen the things that Jesus was doing, gathered as well. So there seems to be a close group that Jesus is speaking to and then a larger group that Jesus is speaking to as well. So if you were here this morning and you're interested in Jesus, you've been thinking about him Well, gather and listen, because this is for you as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, have your ears open. This is transforming. If you are interested in Jesus, this could change your life. Listen close to what Jesus is going to say. And first and foremost, he goes through and he gives us those classic lines, Blessed are. Uh, It's a great statement, isn't it? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who mourn. And he goes through, doesn't he? Sometimes it's a little bit hard to know exactly what does he mean by the word blessed. Some translations in the past have been happier those or satisfied are those. But I actually don't think that's what it's about. I think the blessed is not so much how you feel but a pronouncement of God upon you. You see, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to his followers, and he's saying that this is you. This is my pronouncement upon you. This is what God thinks of you if... You are this. So it's a bit like in Aussie lingo, good on you, mate. You know, when you go and say, good on you, mate, because you did that. It's a, we're saying approval to what you're doing. In a sense, this is God saying, good on you. Good on you if this is who you are. And so the blessed, you can almost translate it that way. Now, we keep that in your mind, I suppose. The scriptures have there says, blessed are those. But think this is God saying, good on you if this is you. Good on you if you are poor in spirit. Good on you if you mourn. Good on you if you are meek. This is God's approval if this is who you are, if this is the way that you live. This is to be the way that you are to live if you are a follower of Jesus. And the really important thing is when you get to this one, the very first one is the most important of all of them. Uh, If you look at the structure of it, you'll see that the first one and the last one say, blessed are those there is, theirs is the kingdom of God in the first one. And the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, that's what they call in literature an inclusio. There you go, if you're an English student. Uh, you've got a, one at the top and one at the bottom. Theirs is, theirs is. And then the ones in the middle are theirs will be. Top and bottom, theirs is. This is what you're pronounced you're going to be. These are things that you will have. Uh, What I think Jesus is saying to us is there's almost a now and a not yet sense to these good on yous. 
that you'll get to experience a certain amount of it now, but you'll actually experience the full version in eternity. This is what I want you to look like now and move towards, but you won't have it ultimately until you're there in heaven with me. And the first one is, is vitally important. It's like you've got to have your first button done up. If you don't get this one right, then the rest of them aren't going to be right. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. See it there? Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so what do you mean by blessed are the poor in spirit? What does that mean? Well, we've sung songs about it this morning. That very first one that we sang, Jesus is my only hope. I come to you with my hands open. Nothing to you do I bring. It's a picture of a person who understands their position before God and comes with their hands open and saying, I have got nothing to offer you, Lord. I bring my hands open. And they're even dirty hands because you realise that your life does not match up to the life that God would desire you to have. Your life is broken. Sin has impacted every part of you and you come before God poor in spirit. You come on your knees, you come with your hands open, open up and say, Lord, I am yours. It's an understanding that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us. There is nothing that we can do to make God accept us. It is not us. It is all him. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they know where they stand before God. They understand that they need him. We are to understand that we need him. And those who understand that, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, isn't it? Because they come and they kneel and they're before God, they're before in spirit. They said, Lord, I have nothing to bring to you. I, I, I lay my life before you. And Jesus steps in, doesn't he? And he picks them up. He says, yours are mine. You are mine. Trust in me. My cross is all you need. We're going to sing a song uh, today called Rock of Ages, but um, due to some technical hitches, that is, uh, the lady who's going to play it was sick. (laughs) It's got a lovely line. It says, nothing in my hand I bring Only to the cross I cling. That is someone who is poor in spirit. Someone who recognises it's only in Jesus. It is only him and him alone that can save us. And a person who is poor in spirit is one who mourns. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn over their brokenness. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who realise that they don't step up, they aren't there, that we're not there. And that's every one of us, isn't it? Uh, Max Licato says, we are like beggars in the kitchen of God. Blessed are those who mourn over our brokenness. Blessed are those who mourn over the world's brokenness. We don't talk about that much, do we? Uh, 
I can't remember the last time I cried over my sinfulness and the fact that I am not who God intended me to be. I haven't cried over the fact that I've hurt people or destroyed people's lives or spoken in a way that I shouldn't have done or acted in a way that I shouldn't have done. Sometimes I think as Christians, in the grace that we understand that God has stepped into that, we are so thankful for that that we don't forget, though, that that cost God everything. Our sin sent Jesus to the cross. It's serious, guys. When we lie, when we cheat, when we deceive, when we don't speak well of others, when we gossip, it hurts God. And he sent Jesus to the cross for it. I'm not sure we mourn enough our sin. Paul in Romans says, what a wretched man am I. He mourns over the fact that he doesn't live up to and cannot live up to God's perfect expectations. We can't do it. Jesus, as he comes into Jerusalem, he gets up on the hill and he cries. Why does he cry? Because the city doesn't look as good as it should do, the the garbage hasn't been put away. No, he cries because there are people here who don't recognise he is a saviour. They don't recognise that they've got a broken relationship with God because of sin and they're not going to come to him. And he cries over them. Do we mourn enough? Do we recognise our sin enough? Do we recognise the brokenness of the world enough? Because those who mourn will be comforted, won't they? Those who mourn will be comforted. Why will they be comforted? Because Jesus isn't dead anymore. You see, the resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection gives us comfort because the resurrection says that Jesus has done something about that sin. Jesus has gone to the cross, risen again. He's defeated it. And now when we put our trust in him, we have hope with him and in him for eternity. And he is going to restore the world. He is going to remove sin. He is going to take it all away. I don't know whether you were at the dawn service yesterday, but there was a... And I don't think the guy who said it realised just how profound his words were. But Kevin, um, I can't remember his surname, Kevin Savile said that he was at, uh, on Friday, he came down and the schools came down, the school, Evans River, K-12, 400 kids came down and they did a service down around uh, the cenotaph down there. And he had this vision as he was looking out there and there was no diggers there or anything, it was just uh, the students and a couple of the guys helping with the service. And he had said this vision, he said, I had a vision of all these kids standing here with no medals. And he had a vision that that would be one day when the world would be at peace and it would be so long since there's been a war, there'll be no one here with medals. But we'd still be remembering. Do you know what Kevin was talking about? Heaven. I don't think he knew that. I don't think he quite picked that. I shouldn't say ill of Kevin, but I, I, I'm not sure he, uh, he, he, he knew exactly what he said. I just thought that was profound. Because that's what a Turner would be like. No medals, peace eternally, not round a cenotaph, but round Jesus. And it was a beautiful picture. No more war, no more sin, no more disease, gone. 
the mournful will be comforted because Jesus will bring that about. And here and now we can understand that and here and now we get a glimpse of that. That's why we can experience a certain amount of it now when we follow Jesus. That is a wonderful vision, isn't it? All because of his resurrection. Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, will also be the meek. When we think of meek, sometimes we think of this person that's a pushover, a walkover, someone who you can just trample on. But no, 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 the meek in the Bible has got nothing to do with physical weakness. It's got all to do with a character who understands that we're poor in spirit, understands that we can bring nothing to God, understands that we're broken people, we are sinful people, we cry over that and we are comforted by Jesus' resurrection and in understanding that we can come and live meekly amongst people because we don't have to lord it over anybody. We don't have to have hold power over anyone. We don't have to big note ourselves to anybody because we understand who we are. We can be truly meek. That is someone who understands where they're at in Jesus, who lives a strong life, who goes out and lives that confidently to love one another as Jesus loved us. So you see, Jesus was meek, but no one pushed him over, did they? But he loved people. And he went to the cross for people. I read this. Uh, meekness is absolute, uh, absolute power under perfect control. Now, I think that's Jesus. But I think for us, meekness is understanding power and having it under control. That is what it is to be meek before God we are poor in spirit, if we are mourning our sin, if we are meek, understanding who we are before God and we are able to live that out amongst others, then the big one, isn't it, from there is that we will be blessed and we will seek the righteousness of God. That is, our heart will thirst and hunger for the things of God. That's what it means to thirst and hunger for righteousness, is to hunger for the things of God. Uh, a number of years ago, when I think Karina and I had just been married, or maybe we weren't even quite married, where we done? Uh, but we went to, who knows where that is? Wine glass place, Tasmanians. Come on, guys, we need to know where we come from, don't we? Uh, it's Wine Glass Bay. It's the Freysenay Peninsula in Tassie. It's uh, a beautiful work, uh, place to go. Don't swim there, it's freezing, but it's a beautiful place to be. Uh, that's called Wine Glass Bay. It's by, voted in the top 10 beaches in the world. Uh, and the hazards you can see up in the... I should point this way, shouldn't I? I'm pointing at my screen. There's your screen. Uh, the hazards, you can do a walk. You walk up over the top of the hazards and then you cut through the peninsula and you come back round the other side. Uh, Karina and I did that on a day, a very, very rare day in Tasmania where the temperature was over 30. Uh, it was actually 36 that day. Record book stuff it was. And we decided to do that walk. So, and, you know, we were young, in our 20s, thinking we were invincible, and so we decided to do that walk without water. Great idea, wasn't it? No food, no water. Just a couple of hours up, round the back, we'll be fine. Well, we weren't fine. By the time we got round the edge of the peninsula, we were hunger and thirsting for anything. And there was this beautiful bay in front of us, and he couldn't drink any of it. And so we kept going around. The further we got around, we thought, it's got to be over the next hill. 
It's got to be over there. And we just thirst and hunger. We walked past people who'd given up. They're on the side. And we thought they're going to die. We said, yeah, okay. He said, yeah, someone's gone to go get some drink for us. Yeah, no, it's weird, isn't it? It's 36 degrees in Tasmania. Strange. And we hungered and we thirst and we kept going over hill and over hill and then eventually got over the last hill and there was the chalet. Well, man, I think whatever last bit of energy we had, we ran into there, burst open the doors, grabbed three drinks out of there and before we could pay for them, we shocked them into us. Mine were coke, Karina's were water, but you know, they were good things. We hungered and we thirst. It's an amazing sense. You just want it, don't you? There was nothing that would stop Karina and I from getting that drink. I wouldn't have cared if there was an elderly lady walking on a walking stick. Boof! Out of the way. I'm going in there. It's drinks for me. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, but it's that sense, isn't it? You know, when you are really hungry and when you're really thirsty, Either you're completely crazy and, and really hard to get on with, or you just need it, don't you? You're thirsty, you want it, you need it. Uh, well, the picture here is us who are hungry and thirsty for the things of God. For what He desires. That's what that verse is about. Where does your brain go to when it goes into neutral? Does your brain go into neutral? Maybe some of you don't. Uh, some of us can get there very quickly. Uh, blokes can get there very quickly when their wives are talking to them. Uh, where does your brain go to when you go into neutral? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Where does it go to when you go into that neutral position? What do you think of? No, not a lot, is it? Not a lot. Or we try not to think of it or try to act like we're not thinking of much. Um, where does it go to? Well, what this is saying to us is when our brain goes into neutral, it should go to the things of God. Because when it's in neutral, they're the things that we desire, the things that we want, that's where we should go. Our brain should be taking us to the things of God, thirsting and hungering for the righteousness of God, is thirsting and hungering for the things that God desires. And you will be satisfied. That Coke that I drank at the end of that walk from uh, Wine Glass Bay around, I needed another one by the time I got to the next camp. And I need another one every day since. <laughs> that, that doesn't satisfy, does it? The saying said Coke satisfies. No, 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 it does for about five minutes or so, but you need another one. Those who hunger and thirst after the things of God will be satisfied. That is what satisfies us, guys. That's what Mick Jagger needs to hear. That's what we all need to hear. And we get confused by that, don't we? Because we think everything else will satisfy. The new boat will be great. The new house will be good. The new wife will be good. The new husband will be good. The new partner will be good. The new kid will be good. The new job will be good. The new We throw all these things out there. We think that's what's going to satisfy us. But in the end, it might for a moment. Man, I love getting out in that new boat. I can fish well, but then the fish don't bite and, man, I want to chuck that boat away. The new house, it's wonderful, it's great, I'm enjoying it, but then I've got to repair it and fix it and, you know, give it 10 years. Looks pretty old and tired. The new wife. I'm not going to say much about that one. You shouldn't go there. That's what later on in Matthew chapter 5 says. Or the new partner or the new relationship or the new job or the new... 
those who seek and hunger for the things of God will be satisfied. But we've got to seek and hunger them, guys. It just doesn't happen. They're challenging, aren't they, already? Do you feel the challenge in these things? Poor in spirit, do we really just come with our hands open to God or do we think there's something that God should love about us? Do I really mourn over my sin? Am I really crying over the fact that I am not the person I should be and I hurt people and I just hurt God because of what I do? And this world isn't as good as it should be. There will not be a time in this world when the kids stand down there at the cenotaph without people with medals on. Am I meek in the way that I understand who I am in Christ? And do I thirst and hunger for righteousness? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. Because theirs will be comforted. Because they are sons of God. Because they will be satisfied. If you notice as you go through... The first four tend to be how we relate to God. The next four tend to be how we relate to each other. If you haven't noticed in this, the whole Sermon on the Mount, uh, and especially these parts, are almost an identical of what happened to Moses. When Moses went up the mountain to meet with God, bring back the Ten Commandments, Jesus goes up the mountain and speaks and brings the word of God to people. Moses went up and it was for Israel and they took it on. Jesus goes up and this is for everybody who follows him. Now that's an interesting point as we'll go through the rest of Matthew chapter 7 to see how Jesus is taking what Moses did and said, I am far better, far bigger. This is what it's really about, guys. This was the preview. This is the real game right here. Because this game is about what's going on here. And say, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who seek out those who are in torment, who are struggling, who are feeling it tough. That's what the merciful are. Grace comes to those who don't deserve it. Mercy goes out and brings salve and brings comfort and brings help to those that are struggling. That is what we are to be, guys. People who seek out and help those that are finding it hard here and now. That's what mercy is about. Mercy is finding those that are struggling here now and coming to them and bringing them comfort. And since you read this, uh, this is worth thinking about. I'm not going to open it up too much. Uh, but the sinner that doesn't face up to their own sin hates other sinners. It's a very interesting quote, isn't it? Because what it's saying is if we don't understand the first four blesseds, we are not going to be merciful because we're going to see fault. We're going to blame. We're going to say they should have. We're going to say, well, they're not as good as. We're going to say, well, how come they are? It's a very interesting question. I'll leave that with you. Just let that sit. Write it down. Go home and pray about it because it was very challenging to me. Because blessed are the merciful. Not blessed are those who can show everyone else how good they are and that they're not living up to the standards that I have. Blessed are those who seek to comfort and look after. No, well, I shouldn't be like that. Come on, get up off your feet and get up. No. Very challenging, isn't it? 
Have a think. Are you gentle or hard-nosed at those who are struggling? Are you helpful or callous to others that are hurting? Are you compassionate or impatient with those who don't live up to your expectations? Because merciful people are gentle, helpful and compassionate, not the others. That is to be those who follow Jesus. That's challenging, isn't it? And why do we do that? Because God has been merciful to you and I. God has stepped into our lives when we don't deserve it. God has come into us when we're hurting. God has come into us when we've been pitiful and life has been terrible and he's picked us up and taken us in his arms and brought him to himself. He has been merciful to us so that we can be merciful to others. It's challenging, isn't it? This is an amazing portrait that Jesus is putting of what we who follow Jesus are to look like. And it doesn't stop there. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, this is about relationships here. This is about having a pure heart towards those that are around you. It's about coming towards people with an open and transparent life that says that I'm open to you, I'm not hiding stuff from you, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm not going to deceive you, I'm open to you and I'm honest with you and I'm pure in heart and I want a pure desire for you. I'm not here to control you. I'm not here to make you who I look like. I'm not here to influence you with what I think is okay. I come to you with a pure heart because I want what God wants for you. I come to love you and see you become all that God desires you to be, not what I think you should look like. That's tough, isn't it? And I reckon that's tough in marriage. How often do we want the partner that we have to be the person that we want them to be? They, they should love me because they should do this. They're not doing what I want them to do. But someone impure in heart says that I want them to be all that God desires them to be. I want to love them and encourage them to become all that God desires them to be and has for them and so that they blossom become the person that God has got in his plans for them. And I pray for them and I serve them and I love them and I encourage them. Yeah, I'm going to get annoyed with them and there's going to be times it's going to be tough. My pure motive is that they become all that God desires them to become. But they will see God. That gives you a picture, doesn't it, of what the followers of God are like, of what the kingdom will be like, where we have a pure desire for everybody, not just our husbands and our wives or our kids, but everybody. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Notice that it's peacemaker. Uh, it's not just peacekeeper. We're not just to try and coddle around the edges and make sure everything's okay. It's peacemakers. We are to be the people that actually seek to restore relationships. We're the people that are to be in there involved in people's lives to encourage them to grow and, and sort things out. 
we are actually be involved in that and in people's relationships. And we can only do that well if we understand the top four, do we? Who we are in Jesus, who we are in Christ, poor in spirit, uh, mourning over sin, meek, seeking God's things, being merciful to one another, having a pure motive for each other. And then we can bring peace to one another. I've had, uh, this is a three words that I read in a book not that long ago and I reckon uh, they've been three of the most profound words I've read for a long time in how I try to relate in every circumstance, in every situation. And don't get me wrong, I'm not this quite a lot of the time, but this is my desire. I read it that when we come into a relationship, when we come into a circumstance or a situation where there may not be peace, where there may be anxiousness, where there may be disagreement, that the aim of someone who knows those first six will be, in this relationship, a less anxious presence in that relationship, in that circumstance, in that conversation, in that disagreement. Now, there's a whole lot to unpack in that and I'm not going to be able to do that now, but have a think about that. What does it look like when you come into an issue to be a less anxious presence in it? Are you idiot? You think you're doing that? That's not a less anxious presence, is it? Someone comes, well, but you, you do that all the time. That is not a less anxious presence, is it? It is someone, when you think that you come into this circumstance and there may be a fire already happening and what you do is you don't stick more fuel in there and add to it, but you bring water and try and calm it down. It's very challenging, isn't it? How do I, in relationships, places where there is difficulty, hardship, aggro, hurt, be a less anxious presence in that? Because we are called to be peacemakers. And if we do that, they're very challenging, aren't they? Those first seven are very challenging, but yet they're also very attractive, aren't they? If you meet someone who has all those characteristics, that is a very, very person who you, you think, wow, that's very attractive, isn't it? Not physically attractive, but, but it's a very attractive, isn't it? When you see people with these qualities, you think, that is someone who I could, I could like somebody like that. I could have a relationship with someone like that. I, I could be friends with somebody like that. I could share my life with somebody. I, I, I feel like I could actually be honest with them and feel like I could be loved by them. I could be safe with them. They're great characteristics, aren't they? Very challenging, but very attractive. What about this last one? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Whoa! I want all this other stuff, God. I'm out. I know it's tough. But I'm going to try and be poor in spirit. I'll be trying to be more. But persecuted? God, man, I don't want that part of the blessedness, mate. Have your approval for all the others, but not this one. Woohoo! Take that. Uh, it, it's not an option, sorry. Blessed are those who will be persecuted. But notice who they're persecuted for. goes on. You see verse 11. Says, Blessed are those uh, when, you, when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because you're an absolute bigot. 
Oh, because you're just a fanatic. Your political agenda is really, really off the show. Man, you get up my nose. You're just a really ugly person the way that you speak. No, no, it doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? Because of me. It's interesting, isn't it? Persecution, if it comes because of Jesus, then we are to rejoice. Because maybe we are living the characteristics that God wants us to, and it's challenging people. But if we're being persecuted because we're being bigots, we're being aggro, we think that we're self-righteous and above everyone else and because of our political agenda or what we're on about, not on. It's because of the characteristics of Jesus that we're persecuted, because of him. And we will see heaven and there will be a reward in heaven for that. Amazing picture, isn't it? Because who's it a portrait of? It's a portrait of Jesus, isn't it? This is who Jesus is. And this is what he is like. These blesseds, God says he's approved. He says, good on you. First and foremost to who? Jesus. When he's baptised, the voice says, this is my son who I am well pleased. Who's God's approval upon? Who is the good on you mostly for? Who is it ultimately with? Jesus. It's his character. And when we take on his character, when we put our trust in him and try to live for him, God says, good on you too, because you are a child of mine. It's a challenging portrait, isn't it? It's a beautiful and attractive portrait, but it's a very challenging portrait. And if we are like this, then we're going to be radical in this world around us. Later on, Jesus says that you will be different to those that live here. You will be different. We are called to live in the world, aren't we? And we are called to be loving and kind and compassionate and to be part of the world and in our community and so forth. But we are to be different within that. A difference that takes people to Jesus. If we're living radically, living radical lives for Jesus, then we will have a radical influence on the world because that's what Jesus says, doesn't he? Look at what he says from verses 13 onwards. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What is the salt? What is the light? It is the character of the Beatitudes. It is the blessed. It is the good on news. That is what we are to be salt and light in the world. As we live that out, then we are salt and light to those around us. Salt brings perseverance. It, it, it actually helps things to go better. We are to be people who are in the world that bring salt to the world, like James said a bit, so that it doesn't decay as much. Leave meat without being persevered, it goes off, doesn't it? But if you salt it, it can last for ages. We are to be salt and we are to be light in the world. We are to be that character who lives out when people look at us and they see how we love each other and how we love others and how we are 
open and honest and pure and meek and mourning and all those things together, they what? They praise our God in heaven. That is to be us, guys. Salt and light in the world. Now, I'm not going to speak much more on that, but I'm going to play you a clip of a song that Carol and Alex sent to me recently. I thought, this is a great song. And I think this captures what verses 13 to 16 say. We're to be salt and light. We are to be a city on a hill and not cover up our lamp. Your portrait. What would it look like? We've had a beautiful portrait of what it is to see what Jesus is like and a character of someone who follows him. Attractive, challenging, transforming. Uh, God is at work. He's doing the portrait with us. He's drawing us. He's working with us. He's putting it together. And when we put our hand in his hand, when we come to him and ask him, he is going to bring about a beautiful portrait because he wants us to be the character and live the character of Jesus in this world. He wants us to be salt and light so that people praise and glorify God because of us. It's a challenge, isn't it? A beautiful challenge though because we're not alone in it. We have each other and we have the spirit whose role within us is to make us into the character of Jesus. Your portrait. I pray that you allow the master's hand to paint it and to take it and to be the masterpiece that he desires for you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask for forgiveness, Lord. We ask that, Lord, you will take our humble lives, our broken lives, our sinful lives, and restore them, Lord, and turn them round. Lord, help us to be poor in spirit. Help us to mourn our sin. Help us, Lord, to be meek and seek your righteousness, Lord. Help us to be merciful. Help us to be pure in heart, Lord. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be people who are persecuted only because of you. Help us to be people, Lord, who you say good on you the people that you approve to be people Lord who live for Jesus with his character in the world that you've placed us in can't do it without you Lord we humbly bow before you and ask for your transforming work by your spirit Lord so that when the portrait is drawn of us, the blessings will be ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.